Hello and welcome to the Pensacola People's Podcast, where we interview interesting people in our area. Hi, and thank you for coming today. Welcome to the Pensacola People's Podcast. We are McKinley Tilly and June Moore. Uh, today we are going to be interviewing um, a businessman and entrepreneur, we, uh, Quinn Studer. All right, Quinn Studer. Let's give it up for Quinn Studer. Okay, so we had this discussion in class today. Um, is your name actually Quint? Like, is Quint short for something, or is it just Quinton? Short for Quinton. Q-U-I-N-T-O-N. So right. Quinton. And then when I was younger, I went by Quinn. But when I got pro into the work world, I thought Quint sounded a little more professional. So um, Quint. But I have um, my great grandfather was um, Quinton. My dad was Quinton. I have a son that's Quinton, and I have a grandson that's Quinton. So. Same in my family. Everyone's name is John. I don't know. <laughs> no, I like that name, Quint. I, I really do. It's a little bit different. Okay, we're just going to give you a quick heads up. So we're going to start off the interview with some like pretty simple questions just to get to know like, we know the business side of you. We can do research and stuff, but we want to get to know like the Quint Studer. Yes. So that's the reason we're going to be asking some kind of Yeah, they're like, like your personal questions sort of. Good. Okay, so what was your first car? A 1961 Chevy Impala stick shift. That is very cool. Okay, go. Um, who was your role model as a younger kid? And like, what, and did, what you did you learn, learn from them? I think as a role model, I think when I get older, I would change. But growing up, <clears throat> I wanted to be Mickey Mantle. You know, I wanted to be a baseball player. And so... And I'm not sure he's a very good role model when you learn about him. As I got older, my role models were really three teachers I had. A third grade teacher named Mrs. James, a sixth grade teacher named Mr. Fry, and a high school soccer coach named Coach King. So if you read my first book, Hardwiring Excellence, you'll read all about the impact that teachers had on my life. So what like, did you learn like personally from them? Well, Mrs. James taught me how to read. Um, I couldn't read in kindergarten, first or second grade, and I had a speech impediment, so a lot of people couldn't understand what I said, but my mother, so um, I struggled with reading, particularly I was terrified. One, I can't read good, and then certainly I, with the speech impediment, I don't want to read out loud, and I got passed from the second grade to the third grade on six weeks trial with the my report card said, we'll give him, Quinn, six weeks in the third grade, but if he can't learn, learn how to read, he'll go back to the second grade. So Mrs. James taught me how to read. And she taught me how to read because she used a different approach. She didn't use the regular reading books. So when something's hard, you gotta find something that someone's passionate about because if they're passionate about what they want, they'll then learn how to get there. So Mrs. James knew I love sports. So she brought the Chicago Tribune, because that's where we live, sports page, and to school every day. And I taught how to read one-on-one -on -one with her, not in the class, because I was love sports, and she taught me how to read by using the Chicago Tribune sports page. So I think if I don't learn how to read, where do you go? My sixth grade teacher, 
what I learned from him is um, everybody has a strength. And again, fourth and fifth grade were nasty for me. And sixth grade, um, I had a lot of energy. So I used to get on my report card, you know, all those checks, talks too much, distracted, disturbs the class. So I get into sixth grade and he moved my desk right next to his. And um, so he could keep me occupied. And when my mom went to a parent-teacher conference, he said, I really like having your son in class. Well, in fourth and fifth grade, all the teachers did was say how they didn't like having me in class. And then he said, he has a lot of energy. We just got to keep it moving in the right direction. So while fourth and fifth grade teachers saw energy as a bad thing, he saw it as a good thing. And lastly, my high school soccer coach let me come into his class to work with his students and um, be like a tutor in the class. And when I went to college, they asked me what I wanted to major in. And I said, I wanted to be just like Coach King. And Coach King taught students with special needs. So I, got, I became a special needs teacher for my first 10 years of my career. So those are the huge impact those teachers had on my life. So you mentioned you used to be a teacher. Why did you stop teaching? A few reasons. Um, one, um, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've got 39 years sobriety. And because I'm a recovering alcoholic, I got very, you only keep your gift of sobriety by helping others. So I started helping others in alcoholism and sobriety. And um, I was going to a treatment center for meetings and they had this job to work with the community. And the job was really drug and alcohol, mainly prevention. So they hired me to go to schools and talk to students about drugs and alcohol, and then also employers for employees that were struggling. So in a way, it was the same, but different. So even though I wasn't teaching, I was started teaching just about a different topic. And I also felt good because, you know, you get to save lives. And isn't that what we're all trying to do is save lives. So that's how the crossover came. How did you meet your wife? Um, well, it's interesting. My wife went to the same college. My, let me go. My wife and I grew up not far from each other in Chicago, but we never met. Our parents had cottages in Wisconsin, six miles apart, but we never met. We went to the same college, but we never met. Then we moved to the same town after college, Janesville, Wisconsin, but we never met. But I knew, I knew of her. I knew of her, um, but she was a little bit out of my league. You know, sometimes guys are intimidated. So she's some construction. Oh, that's right. Okay, so that's usually not this loud. See, I'm at the dental office today. Just joking. Anyway, um, so so I knew of her but she was a little bit out of my league. And then we were both running in. All of a sudden, I kept running into her, but I was too afraid to ask her out because I was terrified of being rejected because I always struggled with my self-image as a person, thinking I wasn't worthy, thinking that I didn't belong. So it was really hard for me to get the courage up because I was so afraid of rejection. And then one of her girlfriends said to me, Rishi thinks you're cute. 
and see that way sort of let me know that maybe we could go out. So the first night I saw her in a restaurant, we actually then talked till the restaurant closed, talked till three in the morning, and I still hadn't asked her out. I was still terrified. And here I realized I just really had a date with her while I was getting courage to ask her out. So that's sort of how we, we met, just coincidentally. It's like that movie Serendipity. We kept running into each other. How did you know she was the one? Well, first of all, she was really attractive and I thought that was really good. I thought even if she dumped me, other women would be attracted to me now thinking that I must be something to date such a good looking woman in the first place, much like your mother, June Frenzy, who was so attractive. Anyway, and so, um, and Mrs. Stafford, again, these are beautiful women. So anyway, I, um, the first thing that got, got me attracted to her was I, I think she was really acute. The other thing that I liked is a guy knew I was dating her and he said, she's really smart. So I thought that is really neat um, to date somebody really smart. And we just seemed, I think we felt comfortable. And I don't know how to say that, but when you're with someone where you don't feel you have to entertain them or do things, you just feel that you can be yourself. Okay, so um, if you could give students one piece of advice, what would it be? Be kind to yourself. I think people are way too hard on themselves. I was at a big healthcare conference this week and they had everybody close their eyes and then they had people stand up if you ever felt you didn't belong in a meeting or you didn't belong here, you didn't belong here. And when they got done, everybody was standing. We tend to judge our insides to other people's outside. So I think social media can be real dangerous because everybody's fun, everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that. Um, so I, I think would be be kind to yourself, you know, be, be a good friend to yourself, treat yourself like you want, like you would treat other people, because I think people are way, way too hard on themselves all the time, over how they look, how they act, what they do, almost everyone in recovery will tell you that one of the reasons they drank and used drugs is because they didn't like, they didn't feel they fit in. And they thought when they drank or used drugs that for some reason it made them feel like they fit in until they don't fit in. And they don't know they don't fit in by then because they're too messed up. So I do this to not only students, but to work people all the time. Life's tough enough. So you don't have, you'll get beat up enough, but don't beat yourself up. So I think my number one suggestion is, is be kind to yourself. So um, you said that you were an alcoholic and you had some like you weren't so confident in like yourself or whatever do you regret any of like things that you did that kind of helped push you to into that kind of life 100 percent, 100 percent. i was a lousy husband lousy father lousy worker lousy um every you name it lousy son so there's always regrets um, that's why you work so hard to live your life a certain way. Now, you don't want to live in the past because then you can just beat yourself up, but you don't want to, so you don't want to dwell on the past, but you don't want to forget the past because you don't want to go back there. Yes, sir. So why did you move to Pensacola? Um, because I was, here we go again, huh? I was um, in a hospital in Chicago chief operating officer and Baptist hospital had read about Baptist, or excuse me, Baptist hospital here in Pensacola read about Holy Cross hospital in Chicago. Cause we led the country in patient satisfaction 
So they came up to visit Holy Cross, saw me, knows that I'm not number one, I'm number two. So they offered me a job. I didn't come to Pensacola because of white beaches. I didn't even know where the city was when they first talked to me. I came to Pensacola, like many people do, for a job. Um, you are famous for your healthcare reform. Uh, how did you get from teaching to hospitals? Well, when I, was, no, when I was working in the behavioral medicine hospital, which is a 35 bed hospital, I called on other hospitals like the Baptist, the Sacred Hearts, the West Florida, because they had employees who would end up in our treatment center for drug and alcohol abuse. And I got to know the human resource director at Mercy Hospital in Janesville. And they had a director of marketing job open. And she said, you do a really good job for that drug and alcohol hospital. Would you mind, would you be interested in coming here and be our director of marketing? And I thought, how cool is this? Big hospital, they do cancer, they do, you know, babies are born there. So I went over to that hospital and I was working there in marketing and I did research and I hired Gallup Company to do research. And um, the community wasn't that excited about our hospital. And then our, um, my boss at the time said, Quint, we got to fix patient satisfaction. So I want you to go work on patient satisfaction, but mainly employee satisfaction because the board had heard rumblings that the employees weren't happy. So I hired an outside company to come in and poll the employees. So he told me, I want this poll to look good. So I ended up doing employee engagement. With that, a hospital in Chicago called me and I went down there to help with employee engagement. And then they said, can you focus on patient satisfaction too? And I did. And then it was named hospital of the year. That's how I got the Baptist. So I think what I'm, I think my special education background really helps me because when you're working with special needs students, you want to break complex things down to simple steps. And I think when you're building a culture, it's all about taking complex things and breaking it down to simple steps. You know, so what does that employee want? Certain employees want different things. So I got quite well known in healthcare and then Baptist became the number one hospital in the country in patient satisfaction. And people started visiting us. 5,000 people came to Pensacola in two years to see what we were doing. And then some of them said, could you work with us? So I started my own company, the Studer Group, which I had till 2015 when I sold it. And then I left there in 2016. So sort of miraculous, because you know who would have thought a special ed teacher would one day run a consulting firm that was named one of the best consulting firms in the United States. Nice. Okay, so you seem like you have a lot of training. Did you ever go to college? I went to college at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and I got a degree in special education. And then I got a master's degree in special education for the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. But you know, I think that really helped. That would help most was being in the classroom. You know, people say to me, well, you're a good presenter. I said, well, you spend 10 years in a classroom. You'll be a pretty good presenter too, especially with special needs students because they don't give you any breaks. You know, they don't suck up to you. They just tell you you're boring if you're not very good. Um, but I'm really a big believer in training and development. So what really helped me in my life was uh, the library. When I first became a manager, I was scared to death I wouldn't make it. I went to the library in Janesville, Wisconsin and started watching video on how to be a good leader. So I'm a huge believer in lifelong learning all the time. 
Mm -hmm. Who are you voting for for mayor and why? I'm voting for DC Reeves for mayor because number one, he works for me. And so I know him very well. I actually know him better than most because number one, because he works for me, I have employees go through a, a, a psychological assessment with the company of Atlanta. I know how mature they are. I know how smart they are. I know how fair they are. I know that. So one, I know DC very well. Number two, every project I ever gave them, gave him, he delivered on, whether it be go, moving to a way we select a superintendent, the mayor's transition report, entrepreneur, our entrepreneur center. So every project I've ever given him, he can get things across the finish line. And I think right now we've got to get more things across the finish line. How did you meet him if you didn't live in Pensacola originally? Pardon? How did you meet him, him since you didn't live here originally? I did. I lived here in Pensacola and how I met him was a few ways. Number one, I was in Pensacola and my Pens I was buying an affiliated baseball team to move to Pensacola, which just became the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. He was a sports writer for the Pensacola News Journal at the time. So he's the reporter that broke the story that we we're getting an affiliated team. And he moved to Alabama and was running a website for the University of Alabama football team. And I really wanted to learn more about social media. So what I do when I wanna learn something, I seek out teachers. So I, I, I realized that he was running a website I wanted to learn about. So I called him up and asked him if he would come to Pensacola for a day, spend a day with me on how to do a better job with social media. So he came and spent the day with me. And I'm a big believer and research shows this, you hire the who and you figure out the what. So I, I hired DC to be my chief of staff. And then when I decided we needed to do other things, he moved into his current role, which is chief entrepreneurship officer. Now I knew his mother though, very well. Connie Bookman was a social worker at Baptist Hospital in 1996 when I came there. So I knew, I knew his mother much better than I knew him. So clearly there are people that disagree with your ideas. How do you handle the criticism? Well, I think it's hard, especially look at my background. I was a special ed teacher. Then I worked in healthcare and I'm very popular in healthcare. So I had never dealt with the type of criticism that you got in this community. And there were some pretty mean-spirited people. I mean, I've been spit on. I've got nasty anonymous letters, um, rumors that weren't true. They're hurtful. So no, you know, if I have somebody, I couldn't tell you what doesn't bother me. They do bother you. Mm -hmm. But I think what I look to more and more is, is it the right thing? So I think it comes with values. So for example, I believe that we needed to keep more young people in Pensacola. Research showed that people want fun things to do. So when I look at the Maritime Park, the stadium, downtown, how vibrant it's gone, I did that because I wanted to keep young talent home because great cities keep their young talent home. So I think that was a good thing. When I came out and asked the Confederate statue to be taken down, which I got a lot of pushback, and it wasn't a Confederate statue, it was a statue in 1892 that was put up in the Jim Crow era, dedicated to truly Jefferson Davis. And um, when I came out and said that has to go down, 
I got some real big pushback, even from people I didn't expect it from. Um, I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but I think if you feel that it's the right thing to do, then you're willing to go through the tough times to get there. And you know what else? Even though you hear a lot, you get a lot of positive feedback too. Um, I, I get so many nice positive, but at first I did. You know, radio shows were blasting me. You know, back then you could put anything you want anonymously on these social websites. I was accused of killing Vince Wibbs and Jack Fetterman on one. Um, and that's why I tell people to be kind to people because we don't get anywhere being mean-spirited. Mm -hmm. So um, when you imagine Pensacola in five or 10 years, what changes would you like to see happen? Well, I, I'd certainly like to see um, basically us complete the downtown development. Sadly, we've had great opportunities and we've blown it, just blowing it, blowing it with projects. I would have liked to seen the Y on parcel eight. I thought I'd been so cool next to the stadium. Um, so I think we have to quit losing opportunities. So I'd like to see us build out the rest of the community. Because, you know, the reason our affordable housing is because we don't have enough housing. Yet if the city council rejects housing plans and prevents development at times, um, not Jared Moore, by the way, but some others, uh, you, you, um, you don't have enough supply. So I, I really think that would be a, a key thing to continue to build things that keep young people here. Number two, I think we've got to address our racial disparity here. I, I measure a quality of life survey every year and over 80% of the people in our blacks in our community feel there's racism and 52% of the whites feel there's racism. We do not have a black middle class. We just have too much poverty. So that means we've really got to, I think, develop small businesses. Because small businesses are really the backbone of every country. It's not throwing out big incentives to get somebody to move here that might move out. So I, I'd really like to see us continue to build our small business and entrepreneur center. I think we've got to be very purposeful in, in racial disparities, particularly when it comes to health care. If you're poor, you're likely you're not going to get the same health care. So I think I'd like to see that, but the number one thing I think we need to do in the next five years is get every child ready for kindergarten. That is the number one thing we can do. I was asked on a podcast, if I had a billion dollars, what would I do? And I said, I would make sure every mom, when they leave a hospital, knows how to build their baby's brain because 80 to 85% of a child's brain is developed by age three. And if we, because it's based on words. So for example, it, some, you see young kids looking at, a child should not be looking at a cell phone until they're 18 months old if you look at medical research and how the brain gets developed. With the iPhone, kids are being talked to less, not more. So that's why we're trying to build early learning playgrounds. That's why we try to get every mom before they leave the hospital understanding how to build her baby's brain. Because if we had every child, only 42% of the children in Escambia County are kindergarten ready. That's terrible. That means those kids will always be behind and might not graduate. If a girl does not graduate from high school, there's a 70% chance she'll have a baby by the time she's 18. If a young man doesn't graduate from high school, there's a 60% chance that they will be in jail at some time in their life. So this whole thing comes down to getting kids ready for kindergarten. So that in five years, I'd like to see every child ready for kindergarten. Yes, sir. 
And lastly, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, I think my legacy is who you teach. And in sports, they call it a coaching tree. They call it like how many people you've impacted are coaching. And it's pretty cool because in healthcare, if you go online and follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see all these healthcare people talking about the impact I've had. So I think my legacy would be people are having a better quality of life because of some type of impact that I had. So I had surgery about uh, six weeks ago and my wife and I donated some money, a million dollars to University of West Florida for scholarships for students and live in Escambia County or, or for either Pensacola State College or UWF. And before I went into surgery, the OR tech came to see me. She wanted me to know that she became an OR tech because of the scholarship that we'd given her. Now, isn't that a cool legacy right there? That's very neat. So your legacy is who you teach. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for coming and letting us give you an interview. And we hope to talk to you soon. All right. Well, thank you very much. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Pensacola People's Podcast Out.